Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. And NetHealth is Redoc powered by XFIT, which is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. You can expand your visit capacity, get paid for your services, ramp up patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation and compliance, which lets you do what you really love, treat your patients. To learn more about Redoc and the complete revenue cycle management services, check them out at nethealth.com slash healthy. Okay, on to today's episode. I am so happy to speak to fellow physical therapist, Dr. Brendan Sullivan. He began practicing physical therapy in 1997 after graduating from Utica College of Syracuse University. Dr. Sullivan is an ABPTS board certified orthopedic clinical specialist and certified strength and conditioning specialist through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. He is a member of the American Physical Therapy Association and is active in both the Workers' Compensation Research Institute, New York Advisory Committee, and New York Physical Therapy Association Public Policy Committee. So today we are talking about workers' comp. So what is workers' comp? How did Brendan become involved in workers' comp and advocacy? Changes in the workers' compensation medical fee schedule and everything around workers' comp. We're really talking about the state of New York, but this could be in any state in the country. So understanding what workers' comp compensation is, understanding where physical therapy fits in, can increase the bottom line for your outpatient clinic and also allow you to treat patients who really need your help. So thanks to Brendan for coming on and giving us so much great information on workers' comp and physical therapy. Enjoy. Hey, Brendan, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you joining me today. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Now, we are today going to be talking about advocacy for the physical therapy profession, which we've been talking a lot about in the uh, days since the Federal Advocacy Forum. And then a little later on in the interview, we'll get into workers' comp and how the workers' comp fee schedule affects physical therapists and affects how we can effectively, effectively do our job for these patients who need us. So let's first talk about advocacy. How did you get involved? Sure. Well, just a quick disclaimer for everyone that, that I do serve on the public policy committee with NYPTA, uh, but I'm not announcing any official position. So unless I specifically cue that up for the audience, uh, just letting them know that. So to answer your question, how did I get involved with advocacy? I think it was a, a natural extension of having gone to Utica College and participating in Lobby Day. Uh, I met very, very early on uh, Doreen Frank, who's a local physical therapist here in Eastern District. And she really kind of showed me the ropes, got me involved, uh, talked to me a lot about how to present and engage with legislators. Um, I think in particular, not what not to do uh, on those, in those meetings, what to talk about, where to keep your focus, 
and coming back to how we can help the issue and how there's there's common ground. So that was kind of my initial foray uh, into it. Yeah, and I met Doreen for the first time this year at Federal Advocacy Forum, and she was just a guest on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, interviewed by uh, a, our other host here, uh, Dr. Jenna Cantor. And yes, when you when you go in with Doreen Frank to talk to these lawmakers or to aides of the lawmakers, she just has a knack of keeping it flowing and keeping it moving and getting those pertinent details to them very succinctly and very quickly. Absolutely. You do have to be precise in there. You don't want to you know, get into too much of a, of a chit chat. You want everything to be comfortable and, and form a nice rapport but you have to get down to business. There's a certain number of items to get to, and, and that's, that's the key. Yeah, and they don't have all day. They do not, Meet, meeting with lots and lots of people. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about advocacy before we get into the workers' comp stuff. But there's a lot of different principles that I think would be great for new grads, students, and even a seasoned physical therapist uh, for you to break down for us when it comes to being an effective advocate. So I'll have you uh, take it from here. Yeah, I think uh, kind of some of the really key elements uh, that I think are, are important is what are we advocating for? And that is in particular, you know, are we after something legislatively, something that's actually on the docket with our state association or a bill that you know, is going to change or influence how we can care for patients. So that's kind of a, a top priority. Or are we doing something for just general public awareness, whether that's just for your local community or in particular for your own practice or the, or the practice or the hospital uh, that you're a part of. So I think uh, that initial determination and what is your desired outcome from that advocacy uh, has to be the first thing that, that comes to mind. Um, I think as, it, as you move forward, you have to identify, secondly, who are the stakeholders? Who are the people that you have really good common ground with? Or, uh, you know, somebody that might be opposing your position and kind of coming out contrary. Uh, maybe they feel that there's a better way to go about it. Maybe uh, what you're advocating for is, you know, to them going to serve as encroachment and is an encroachment perhaps on their practice act or otherwise. And, um, you know, really identifying that up front, because I think one of the biggest things that, uh, you know, I get to later, later on in one of my other points is making sure that you build proper alliances. It's very hard, you know, for the size of the organization that we have uh, within our state association, and I would say that it's generally true across the country, is that you want to have people that are like-minded kind of working with you or at least aware of, of the issue and how, uh, as PTs and PT assistants, we can play a really positive role in something that they might be interested in. Um, and then I, I would say the kind of the third point is ask yourself who's the independent authority on that particular issue. Uh, is there an outside public health group that has looked at this issue? I think that, uh, you know, as PTs, we look a lot at our own research, and sometimes it's very easy for us to get, you know, kind of tunnel vision as to, you know, feeling that we can do, you know, a lot, uh, you know, on our own. And sometimes there are other options for patients that we have to keep in mind. And certainly that ties into the notion of being multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, 
but that really, you know, is something very important, I think, as we go to advocate for something. Is there perhaps other ways that something's already being addressed? You want to be aware of that kind of going into the dialogue so that you don't start advocating before already knowing uh, what's out there. And having independent authorities that have maybe looked at, you know, some of the different evidence out there and ranked it and rated it, uh, you know, I, I think is very, very valuable. And that's, that's true. And that's something I'll touch, touch on as we move in towards workers' compensation as mm-hmm. some of those, uh, you know, some of those uh, agencies already exist that, that look at that. Um, and again, relationship building and alliances. Realize that your first meeting with a legislator or with somebody who helps to look at, you know, certain issues uh, you're not looking to do a one-off. Like it's not like you're going to convince them, you know, right on the spot. Uh, you know, you're going to have to build good rapport and the idea that you're going to come back on the issue. If they ask you for follow-up information, that that information is going to come forward. And as, as new information unfolds, maybe it's six months after lobby day, sending a note and say, Hey, I remember we had that conversation and this, latest bit of information came out uh, and, and you share that with them. I think that goes a long way and, and understanding that. Um, and I think, you know, all of this kind of tied into my, my personal journal, journey as to how I got involved with NYPTA and, and serving on the public policy committee. And that is I was somebody from the outside, independent private practitioner, had always done lobby day uh, but never ran for any form of office, uh, but really kind of saw this workers' compensation issue as something that I could take on and, and something that I could contribute uh, and ultimately provide provide the team as much good information as we can so that uh, everybody within the profession and within the organization can have as much as we can going in in terms of knowledge uh, to make, uh, make our advocacy efforts uh, that much more succinct and direct. Yeah, and I think that's great. And I'm just going to recap this really quickly for the listeners. So when you're thinking about being an advocate, some principles are that uh, Brendan just outlined are determine your issue and what your desired outcome is. Determine who your stakeholders are and not just the people who are in synergy with you, but the people who oppose. Find out if there is an independent authority on this because that can be someone you can build a relationship with. You can look to them for data to support your position. Uh, And then relationships, relationships, relationships. And then finally, looking at your state or at the APTA level, who's part of the the public policy committee? Who are the people involved there? Reach out to them and see if what your efforts can do to tie in with what they're doing. So is that about right? That is. That's spot on. Perfect. Okay. So let's get into the workers' compensation issue. Um, First thing I would love for you to do is just kind of define what workers' compensation is and how that affects physical therapy. Sure. So I think the the really uh, important element to workers' compensation is, of course, patient care and the idea that there was a, a grand bargain. And that is the idea as, as an employer that employees that work for you have kind of done, you know, uh, an exchange. And that is the idea that if they get hurt at work, instead of turning around and suing you, you'll provide necessary benefits and medical care. Uh, kind of the, uh, the importance to physical therapists 
in terms of that is that that's a population that's that's really important for whatever state or whatever jurisdiction you're in that you want to have a healthy workforce and you want to make sure that you've got enough available rehabilitation professionals and that uh, the compensation as it relates to that is adequate such that you can provide good quality care and you know in particular as it relates to physical therapists uh, employment and salaries i know that that's a major topic of discussion that comes up for students it's ex extremely important to know that from state to state how insurance rates are determined. Again, at the national level, we talk a lot about Medicare and me Medicare's decisions and, and policies with regards to how uh, payment uh, decisions are driven from there, whether or not you know, a modality like iontophoresis isn't covered by virtually all insurers because Medicare said no. Uh, there wasn't enough evidence, so everyone kind of falls in line with that. Well, most insurances, they'll come into an area and if they want to determine kind of what is the market rate, they're going to look at Medicare, certainly, but they're also going to take a look at your state workers' compensation medical fee schedule. And the surrounding rules that are uh, kind of involved with that will help to determine what is the ultimate uh, reimbursement for a particular visit. So there's a lot of different methodologies. Really important. Yeah. Now workers' comp is really important. I didn't know that they looked at, that other insurance companies looked at workers' comp reimbursement as far as how they're going to, de to determine their prices. And then, like you said, that reimbursement can then determine, well, if you own a private practice, how much you're getting reimbursed is going to go into your operating costs, which is going to go into how much you're going to pay your therapist, which is what new grads always want to know. Exactly. Absolutely. And so I think yeah. that this, this issue for, for therapists, whether you work at the hospital or for a rehab clinic or for an outfit or you're an independent practitioner, or if you're a student, you know, you've chosen to go into PT or somewhere along the pathway of getting there, uh, this is an important issue and topic and knowledge about this. It was something that I learned about over the last 17 plus years of having my own practice is, you know, how does the fee schedule fit in? And it ha I had to be educated on it. And ultimately, uh, you know, moving the needle on that and having changes take place can positively influence things. Because if there isn't changes, and even if you're working for the hospital and you're expecting salary to go up, if it's stagnant in kind of the private practice market, then it's gonna be hard to negotiate and say, well, I'm, I'm thinking about leaving. And that I think is, is part of the reason here in New York that's driven you know, some degree of, you know, not entirely evidence-based, but sometimes volume-based care. And it's mm -hmm. uh, something, you know, uh, in, in doing the calculations and making sure that private practice is strong. Uh, you know, I've always felt that, you know, for how physical therapy is going to go, uh, how private practice goes. And you need a, a really good, solid foundation for that. The notion of autonomous practice really, you know, should unfold primarily uh, in, in every venue, every place that PTs practice, but it can be led in independent practice. And that's where this, this issue ties in. And I know in New York State, the workers' compensation reimbursement is quite low. And is that, and even, I mean, I, when I used to work in a private practice, the reimbursement from insurance companies in New York is quite low, some of the lowest in the country. And so does that, is that because the workers' comp is, is also some of the lowest in the country? 
Yeah, I mean, I think from just from a an overall standpoint that if you were to look at this medical fee schedule and compare it from one state to the next, what you would see for uh, physical med and rehab, uh, kind of an independent analysis group, the group that I serve on uh, is the Workers' Comp Research Institute. They're the largest independent uh, outfit that looks at workers' comp. And I serve on the New York panel. And I get access to all their reports where they do uh, different benchmarking. And they'll show that, you know, PM&R uh, here in New York is 30% below Medicare. They use Medicare as their standard because it accounts for some of the geographic differences. So you can get a good comparison to that as a, you know, as a standard. And that's true. They do averages throughout all what they call four different regions here in New York. Uh, and that is kind of the compensation system breaks up the regions into these four areas and then determines what they call different conversion factors to figure out, you know, within the workers' comp system, what is the cost of living, whatever goes into that equation. And so that's why reimbursement might be different upstate versus downstate. So there's kind of two downstate areas and two upstate areas. Got it. Got it. Now let's talk about uh, workers that you've mentioned the workers comp medical fee schedule. What is kind of the history on that and how did that evolve into what it is now? Yeah. So the medical fee schedule was last, there was uh, uh, the last major update to it was over 22 years ago in 1996. And there was an attempt in 2004 to revise things entirely realize that most states, uh, the majority now, uh, actually use Medicare as a standard, what's called the RV, RVS, uh, you know, uh, standard methodology to determine reimbursement. And what they do is add on an additional surcharge. You know, for some states, it's 10%, 20%. I think, you know, when we were looking at things down in Texas, it's 60% more than Medicare. So there's substantial differences there. Uh, So that attempt in 2004 uh, had to go through the New York State Legislature, and there were hearings on it and a lot of opposition because essentially the uh, compensation board had come up with a formula where they were going to take reimbursement away from some of the higher paid uh, professions that historically have had their fees reduced by commercial and Medicare plans and kind of bring that into balance and bring up other areas such as rehabilitation, you know, for PTOT, as well as for primary care uh, practitioners where they felt that, that they had a deficit. And because they were trying to stay budget neutral, but they were taking away from, you know, uh, some interests that within the system that already had, you know, a pretty good uh, hold on what their, uh, you know, uh, what they feel like they could get support for, they went ahead and, and shot that down. It did not make its way out of committee, so the Workers' Comp Board had to go back and make a determination again as to what they were going to do. And that kind of leads us up to uh, where we are this year at, at really this point. And what, where exactly are we at this point? So, you know, there's been advocacy efforts on this for decades, am I right? Absolutely, a long time. Uh, yeah. Long. Uh, it's and, been and so where where are we in the process of perhaps changing some of the reimbursement rates for physical therapy and other rehabilitation professionals in in and we're here we're talking about the state of New York, but 
where are we in that journey? Yeah, I would say that we're a significant way along. So the medical fee schedule, there was, just to give a little bit of background, and this is, again, public knowledge, is that we had a meeting with the Workers' Comp Board, and it's centered primarily around the physical therapist assistant bill and our efforts to have PT assistance treat in the system. But we did touch on some things related to the fee schedule, and that was back uh, in early February. So what happened is, is that we didn't hear really anything after that meeting. And then literally on lobby day, in the afternoon after I went home, I got an email from the workers' comp board. Again, a general announcement saying that, hey, in a very short period of time, uh, early June, we are going to be releasing an, an improve, several improvements to medical care, one of which is going to be increased uh, reimbursement across the board. Nobody's going to get a cut, and we're going to bring rates up. So there were no specific details. And then back on, on June 6th, uh, they, they released a formal, it wasn't exactly called a discussion document, but it was a formal release of exactly how uh, they were going to change things. So this document comes out with a series of ground rules that establishes uh, how are they going to reimburse for a number of different professions? Are they gonna make certain improvements or provisions related to the rules for reimbursement. So where we are right now is that as of June 6th and for the next 60 days, there's a 60-day comment period. And within NYPTA, we had already submitted and we had requested uh, from the Workers' Comp Board comment as to what we thought was, what they, what we thought would be fair uh, remuneration, uh, remuneration for uh, therapy, services across the board. And so that uh, was presented to them, but uh, you know, ultimately we've been able to work out what it means across all four different regions here in New York. So right now the, uh, the recommendation is that for workers' compensation that uh, on average, all regions, there's gonna be a 25% increase uh, to, the, uh, to the fees that are paid for PT and OT. So that's good for PT and OT. It is considering. Right? Um, is it good? Is it not good? Is it somewhere in between? Where are we here? I think, I think at the point where everyone was reading the documents that the general release said that, you know, there was a 5% increase across the board. And when everybody read that initially, we were a little disappointed. And then when you dig into the numbers, they increased what's called the conversion factor. So it ranges, the increase ranges across the four areas between 20% and 30%. So you go, hey, that sounds fantastic. But what we it have does. to realize, <laughs> it does. But what we have to realize is a couple of different things. And that oh, no. is, <laughs> so the flip side to that is that there had not been an increase in 22 years, which means right. that the fees that we were being paid had not kept up with inflation. So if you just took our reimbursement rate and you ran it through for inflation, you can go over to the Bureau, Bureau of Labor Statistics website and you can just plunk that in, you know, what is, what is the payment? What you realize is that what they're recommending is still 25% below what we would have gotten had they just kept up with inflation. Oh, well, now that doesn't sound so great. <laughs> yeah. So that, that is one of our concerns is that if they're not going to update it again for another 22 years or whatever period of time, right. um, that, that that's going to significantly lag. 
And the underlying issue as to why, um, you know, why is it behind uh, so much is that they don't want to get into revising the fee schedule because it's a kind of a customized formula is, is when you read some of their, some of their documentation. Uh, but the notion of why it's so low here in New York comes down to these ground rules. So although they had increased what's called this conversion factor across all four areas. And what does that mean when they say conversion factor? Sure. What exactly so is that? Yeah. So there's uh, the conversion factor is basically a multiplier. And that is that we're allowed uh, for our initial evaluations to bill 13.5 RVU for a follow-up, like a formal reeval, 11 RVU, and eight RVU for any true treatment follow-up session. And what's an RVU? Uh, a relative value unit. Oh, and, RVU, okay. Yep, so that's kind of the you know, standard mechanism that's, that's still used when you look across Medicare or otherwise. So if you look at that RVU cap and you do the multiplication to the conversion factor, you can find out very quickly what the reimbursement is within your given region. Uh, the RVU cap is something that also has capped physical therapist reimbursement as being lower. So it essentially means that for a follow-up visit, mm -hmm. you're for a little less than a half an hour, and then anything that you're providing above that is not compensated. A standard, typical, you know, one-hour treatment that would be paid under Medicare, what it means that under workers' compensation, it's actually 50% lowest is how wow. that works out. So even with the increase, it's capped. And so the benefit that comes from the 25% increase is limited by this ultimately. So even if there's a 25% increase, it's still technically like 25% less than what you would get from Medicare? It's actually... Or is, say, is that too simplistic? Uh, it's, it's actually, I would say that we were probably around over 50% less mm -hmm. than Medicare previous, and we're just about 50% now. Oh, so even if they say, oh, we're going to raise the fee schedule, it would still be 50% less than Medicare? Absolutely. Ugh. Terrible. Yeah. So that's, that's one of our points, um, you know, uh, that, that has come up as a part of our uh, advocacy efforts and, and dialogue is that we don't want to see the potential benefit negated uh, that would come from a fee schedule increase. We feel like it's a... Uh, you know, kind of perversive effect on provision of care, that it, it facilitates volume-based care as opposed to evidence-based. Mm -hmm. if, if an injured worker needs the amount of time spent that is a full hour, you don't want clinics or therapists under pressure saying, look, you know, a, a boss coming into them and saying, hey, look, you've got to schedule or see three people an hour because after 20 minutes, we're not being paid. You, you don't want that pervasive effect to exist. And if the fee schedule hasn't changed in 22 years, again, the value for that visit from a monetary standpoint, you know, isn't there. You don't want it disincentivized to spend the necessary time with the patient. And I, I just feel that the greatest value that we can offer beyond our hands-on skills and therapeutic exercise instruction is for those individuals that have uh, a work injury 
the psychosocial aspects to how this is impacting their life, that extra five, 10 minutes that you're spending going through understanding their personal circumstance, the impact that it's had on them can make all the difference in the world. You don't want them in a high volume environment. No one would recommend that a psychotherapist that who, who believes somebody needs one-to-one counseling should be put in a group setting. Mm-hmm. That, you know, sometimes is, you know, is, can be our role. We can, we can have influence. We can be that listening ear. You know, I was told when I graduated, my two best skills were my eyes and my hands. And it really has come down to listening. Absolutely. That's been a part of your presentation with those patients in persistent pain. Mm-hmm. And we really want to get the system to acknowledge that, that, you know, that's where the value can be from therapy is de-escalating circumstances where there's depression, fear avoidance, identifying those flags to make mm-hmm. sure that those individuals get what they need. Yeah. And if, like you said, if you're incentivized for volume, 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 then you may miss things, which can just perpetuate the length of care for someone in workers' comp. So in the end, it's like, it just seems like it's all ass backwards because in the end, would they not end up maybe paying more or having this person go on to other procedures that might not be necessary, but could have been mitigated had they had the, yeah, just having the amount of time necessary for their care. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, NetHealth. PTs, what do you hope to accomplish in 2018? I bet providing even better patient care and increasing revenue are top on the list. First, expand your visit capacity. Then get paid for your services, ramp up patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation and compliance. The good news is there's one solution that brings it all to the table. Redoc, powered by XFIT, is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. Imagine PT billing, coding, compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. Learn more about Redoc and complete revenue cycle management services at nethealth.com slash healthy. Absolutely. I, I think in our, in our meeting, uh, just to share some, some basic background, you know, we really tried to establish, you know, what goes into, uh, you know, really good care for patients. What are the fundamentals? And, and this ties back to our medical treatment guidelines. And, you know, just a really quick history lesson for everyone. In 2007, the Workers' Comp Board, you know, was commissioned to look at treatment guidelines, you know, really standardize and make sure everybody's up to snuff and speed on evidence-based care. So they worked on it for a few years. And then in December 2010, they released guidelines that were for low back, neck, knee, shoulder, uh, carpal tunnel came along, I think a couple years later, and then non-acute pain, so more persistent pain guidelines. So these guidelines were developed and they were based on the states of Washington and Colorado, and also uh, the American Council on Occupational and Environmental Medicine. So those were kind of the standards that we used. In our presentation of the comp board, we really sat down and, and illustrated for them well, what does good staffing look like in the states of Colorado and Washington? Both of those states are able to use their PT assistants. And even in Colorado, they, uh, PTs can supervise athletic trainers in the system. And doing an analysis on the number of uh, residents, you can calculate that there was something like in both states, about 130 to 140 PT and PT assistants per 100,000 residents. 
here in New York, and the case that we made to them was that if you take our PT assistance away from us, here in upstate, it's about 86 PTs per 100,000 residents. Down in New York, in, in the lower regions, it brings it down to about 82. Mm. So it's not enough people. That's just not enough people. Even if, and I calculated how many therapists uh, there were in Connecticut and New Jersey, we'd have to steal in downstate half <laughs> of the PTs that existed in each state. And I, you know, I said to the board, I don't think those states would like it if we just confiscated right. you know, half their therapists that right. were there. But my point was that to provide good care, personalized care, the type of therapy that we have that's evidence-based, everything that we've substantiated, you have to have the staffing there first. And by not having assistance as a part of that equation, it means that clinics that might want to expedite getting an injured worker in can't because maybe they don't have the maneuverability on their schedule. And that was really a big part of the case that we made, that, hey, we passed these guidelines. These states have you know, a really great track record in terms of keeping their opioid utilization down, a quick return to work, we need to follow more than just their guidelines. We need to not look to them exclusively, but say, hey, what else are they doing right? What is their practice act? You know, how do all those factors come together to leverage physical therapy properly within the system? Yeah, and, and, and what was their response? I mean, common sense would say, wow, that's, that makes a lot of sense. That's something we should do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that came out of our efforts uh, to have PT assistance approved, the response that we got, I don't think it was entirely clear from the governor's office initially, but as things have evolved, what we've discovered is that the comp board wants to move towards uh, physical therapists, nurse practitioners, uh, uh, social workers, uh, psychologists, and so forth, actually being authorized providers in the system. And the response that we had initially got from the governor's office was that they didn't want non-licensed personnel uh, treating injured workers, which at the time didn't make any sense. But since uh, in the last year, the comp board was really pushing for this authorized provider bill. They want licensed professionals only to be signed up to do that. So it's almost like they knew that they were going to be pushing for that in advance. Mm -hmm. And and NYPTA has, has made steps towards moving PT assistance from certified to licensed. They already passed the licensure exam, and that's been our case. That's, that's why the legislature went ahead and passed it on to the governor. Uh, but ultimately, it looks like we need good alignment with that. And individuals I spoke with out in Washington state essentially confirmed that, that they had to move their PT assistance from certified to licensed, and Got then it. the board became very comfortable with it. Okay. All right. So the next question I have is what can we do as physical therapists or physical therapist assistants or even our patients? What can we do to help move things along here in a direction that is that helps both the profession and the patients? Sure. I think that the key point is being being and staying engaged on the issue and that is uh, while a formal response position is being formulated by NYPTA, mm-hmm. if you have you know, somebody who's uh, a representative for you locally, such as I have Doreen Frank here locally, uh, you know, if, the, if there was a legislator that I wanted to get in front of uh, to maybe you know, make my case to, I'd want to touch base with that person first off. 
Now, a key element to this provision is that it's very different from the 2014 one. It doesn't have to go through the legislature. This is all regulatory. So pretty much they're setting the rules and you're not going to have anyone voting on it. It pretty much is going to become in place as of October 1st. Okay. Uh, what I would say is staying engaged, knowing that part. Now, I've gone ahead and met with some local representatives that have particular interest, I think, in this issue and supporting it. My local assembly person I sat down, I met with, I explained the issue, and they're willing to uh, you know, send in comment the workers' comp board essentially saying that this RVU cap is a negative influence on the system and should be reconsidered. So that was one step that was taken. Now, I'm not advocating that for everyone because I think we need to really get behind the state association and wait for what exactly are we advocating for? As mm -hmm. part of uh, that position is going to be coming out. Perfect. Uh, sometime, probably sometime next week. Okay. I would expect some some communication about. I think that we're coalescing around a position there. Perfect. So once the NYPTA comes out with a position, then all of us in New York State can help support that position by leaving a comment um, or perhaps getting in touch if we have a legislator that we have a relationship with or that we want to form a relationship with, then they can also perhaps leave a comment on the workers' comp board. Is that how it works? Absolutely. There's okay. going to there's be information on the NYPTA website about, you know, letters, what the key points are that you can communicate. Perfect. And just so everyone that's listening, we'll have a link to the NYPTA website uh, so that all you have to do is go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com on this episode, click in the show notes, and it'll take you right to where you need to be. We'll try and make it as easy as possible. So, yeah. Now, is there anything that we missed or any other points that you want to touch upon before we wrap things up? Yeah, I, I just think as it relates to this issue, if, if you were communicating and, and sitting down and talking amongst other therapists, I think it's, um, there are some key facts and things that have come up in our, our dialogue and discussion uh, um, amongst each other as I provided analysis to the group. Um, and again, I mentioned the RVU cap earlier, and that's a key point uh, to understand and, and to communicate along the way. Uh, but I think, you know, as it relates to the opioid issue, just how severe this was within the workers' compensation system, and as it relates to, uh, you know, the actual utilization for non-surgical cases, uh, the Workers' Comp Research Institute took a look at that, and New York was like the second highest state in terms of what they call morphine equivalent amount. And that is the dosing that goes to individuals that don't need surgery. And it was actually about 74% higher than the median state, which was extremely substantial. Now, New York's made fantastic improvements. We have the iStop program, you know, where, you know, patients are being monitored, but realize that despite that increased awareness, that's still going on. And that opioids still represent the highest um, drug spend within the workers' comp system. It's about 15% of the overall drug spend, which is about $30 million a year. Uh, the other component that I would say is that Schedule II medications, uh, which are the most addictive form of medications that include opioids, that if you averaged it out over the last five years, that the amount paid by the workers' comp system for just those addictive medications across the board is 
25% higher than what they spent on PT and OT combined. So that's a little bit eye-opening as to, uh, you know, things related to physical therapy and what we think a change in priorities should be. You know, we brought this to, you know, to numerous stakeholders' attention that we feel like we can play a really positive role beyond structural reform within the system, but to really provide injured workers a great option. Quality physical therapy needs to be a part of that conversation. We don't have all the answers. Of course. We want to be able to provide the best. Yeah. And I think that's, I love that you said we don't have all the answers, but I think we can be, have a seat at the table and be part of a worker's recovery. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a vital component to helping somebody get moving again and, and get back to the job. I couldn't agree more. And on that note, we're going to kind of wrap things up. And as I said, as we were talking offline, uh, at the end of each interview, I always ask everyone the same question. And that is, what advice would you give to yourself knowing where you are now in your life and in your career? What advice would you give to yourself as a newly fresh grad right out of physical therapy school? Sure. I think that... Uh you know, I always had, uh, you know, tremendous focus on uh, continuing education. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, having uh, a real focus on uh, something related, you know, like what's offered today, residency and fellowship, you know, that, that was relatively new, a new concept. And that if I could go back in time and that was available, I would pursue that uh, very directly and, and early on. I think it would have sharpen my skills uh, even more so than, than where I've kind of come along uh, in my career too. That, that'd be the number one advice that I'd give. Awesome. Nice little plug for residencies and fellowships. Now, where can people find more information about you if they have any questions? And like I said, we'll have links to the NYPTA website, but if there's any other websites that you think people could uh, check out to find more information on workers' comp, please share. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, more information uh, about myself, you can go over to empirehwc.com for my business site. I'm on Twitter at SulPTCSCS. Uh, but in particular, I think if you want to get really good information on workers' comp, the Workers' Comp Research Institute, as well as the New York Compensation Insurance Rating Board, has some excellent studies that are available. Uh, either uh, the Comp Rating Board or, or free studies that I referenced and Workers' Comp Research Institute, you can either purchase them or I can share some of the findings uh, with you with regards to PP that I think are relevant if, if somebody wants to reach out on that. Perfect. And again, everyone, we'll have links to all of those at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com under this episode. So Brendan, thank you so much for sharing all this vital information for physical therapists, especially here in the state of New York. So thanks so much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, anytime. And everyone else, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. And now you have more information to get out there, advocate for your patients, know where the money's coming from, and look at the workers' comp situations even in your own state. So I hope you all have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. And a huge thank you to Brendan Sullivan and, of course, to our sponsor, NetHealth. So if you are looking to 
up your patient engagement, expand your visit capacity, get paid, eliminate worries about documentation and compliance, then you don't have to do it on your own. You can work with NetHealth. They are redoc powered by XFIT, which is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. Plus, you can opt in to completely outsource billing services. That's the best way to optimize revenue. Imagine PT billing, coding, and compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. To learn more about Redoc, check them out at nethealth.com healthy. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.